howdy, hey. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Texans, Texans Take. All right. That was almost so good that like like halfway through the hey, howdy, hey part, you didn't know it sounded like one person. <laughs> and then it kind of changed after that. And I was like, oh, well, it started off really awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it was good. So, yeah. Um, no, where were we? Brig has a new card. That's right. I was like, that. you stopped me. I know. Yes, Keep let's going. start because now. So, Brig has the closest thing to a minivan. Without, without having a minivan. Yeah, it's it, it's a Highlander. And I was there for the first time in my life. Toyota Highlander. I had decided we're going to get a minivan. Um, and, and that's that's kind of like... I need you to work on Juliana, by the way. Me saying I'm going to get a 9mm, which I have said before. It was also hard to do that. Yeah. You know it's good. You work around it, though. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I... Um, we won't get started. <laughs> I... And I asked her the other day, I asked Allie, I said, do you want, do you want a minivan? We'll just get you a minivan. Yeah. Like I'm losing money in the Durango every day. And on top of that, I'm pretty sure we're going to continue to have the not enough seats issue. That's not going. It's just going to be constant. We just need to really get rid of this. And so I was looking because my, the car that I had ordered, it's not here. They can't tell me where it is or when it's going to be manufactured. None of that. And so, I had just kind of decided that we need to make that decision now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be a later. Let's just do it. And so, what's funny is all of the minivans that I was looking at, had they were seven-seaters. Yeah. All of them. All of them, yeah. Pretty much. Um, you you can, can sometimes you can find them. a jump seat that goes between the two middle seats. Yeah, and there's all... Yeah. and Like and, the Sienna has that. They've right. got a jump seat that basically... Stows away in the back, and it's not a full seat. It's like you know, I won't say smallish, that, but it's it's for somebody with the smaller <clears throat> posterior. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so I was just flipping around, and I saw this Highlander on there. I said, "Man, that has eight seats." Yeah, it's all but drive, so I'm not losing that either. I'm like, this has got to be what we're gonna do. And so yeah, I got the closest thing. It's really you know, it's. It's shorter and stouter than the stockier than the yeah. Durango. So basically, if you took my car, which is a Toyota Rav Four, and upscaled it, married it to a minivan, and then gave it a couple of steroid shots. I don't know because it's still. Is it got the same power as a minivan? Uh, it's got more. I, I would figure it had more. Yeah, quite it, a bit. Is it a? See, the thing what is, is, it, what is, in is it size, is though it, a, it looks though it looks the way it is in size, it's only an inch both ways difference in the size of the Durango. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, like, as far as it being a big SUV, it's it's right there on the big, the medium big. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the uh, uh, engine size and all that jazz? Three five. Okay. Okay. So I went there, I'm a three six to a three five, but it still puts out the same, the same specs on that. Nice. nice. It's probably V six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they they used to offer a four cylinder option, but then they, Oof, they, no, they, not they, a car that size. You don't yeah, they that. quit. It was underpowered. It was. Only thing they'll do is add a turbocharger to that, and then you have a real mess. Yeah. And this cool, this car has a bunch of cool little features like. It it has it doesn't have remote start, oh, which I think is funny. It doesn't have remote start now. Now hold on with me for a second. It doesn't have remote start that you're just going to realize is remote start. Okay. 
So instead of having a button that says, hey, this is going to start me remotely, it has a combination that you use on the key fob to start the car. Oh. So you, like, hit the lock button twice. Bop, bop. And then hit the lock button and hold it. Okay. And then it starts up the car. So bop, bop, bop. Right. And it, and it starts For those Morse coders. So, okay, interesting. So it is a remote start. It is a remote start, but it doesn't like... It's not a normal remote start. It's like a concealed remote start. I like it. It's <laughs> really cool. So after finding out that this exists, I went out to my Camry to see if I didn't know that the Camry did that this whole time, because I was going to be really aggravated. Uh, does it, it? It does not. Oh, does I didn't. Not. I felt so. a lot better. What year is your Camry? Camry's a 2020. Oh, it's well, just, It's an S. This Maybe is you would have it, though. Maybe, but yeah, it's yeah. not. Sorry. I think the biggest difference is the 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 camera that I was originally looking looking at before it was like immediately sold out from under me. That one probably did have it just because it had the key fob and it was keyless entry and all that jazz yeah, and it yeah. had the push button start. Uh, the camera that I ended up with, though it was the same trim level, it didn't have that push button start feature. Yeah. And that does take away from a lot of the technology. So but this one's got safety features. This is this is a story that it's a common story. Okay. Man in love with his car. Goes everywhere. Has a wonderful time. Nice car. Good for bachelor. Gets married. Okay. It's got to be like the second most common story. In All right. Situation. So he gets married and then he has to get a, you know, he keeps his cool car, right? He keeps his cool car after marriage. Well, then they have a baby. Okay. Well, eventually they're like, you know, life will just be easier with the minivan. So then they get a minivan. Well, now you have a mini, you're buying a minivan and your cool car and you're like, I should probably get something a little bit more economical um, price-wise. And so you sell your nice car and you get just an average everyday car. And then your wife has this nice minivan or Highlander or whatever. And you have a little smaller, not impressive car. And so your wife ends up with a nicer car than you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's exactly what happened. Like, and th this car has so many like safety features, which I'm glad it does because Lord knows she needs it. But yeah, well, like my dad, my dad had a, a, a lesser car than mom for years. Well, eventually for actually for years, we had just had trash cars all around. Nobody had a nice car. And then eventually after lots of complaining and like, you know, family and my twin sisters came along and dad is like, all right, let's go get let's go get mama minivan. So she got her minivan. It's an old one, but it was very nice compared to what she had before. And so now she had a minivan, and Dad still had... What did he have? It wasn't any good, whatever it was. But anyway... Didn't he have a, he had a Camry at one point, didn't he? He had a Camry. Oh, we've had a lot of cars. All second-rate cars, but a lot of cars. Yeah. Had a Camry. He had a Sebring. He had a Camry. He had a Corolla. Uh, no, no, no. I think it was just a Camry, uh, Volvo 240. He had the, he had my van again. We had a Chrysler. Um, we had, I think another Chrysler. 
We had a Jeep Grand Cherokee for a very short period of time. And then didn't y'all have uh, your Papa's Grand Vic or, I mean, Crown Vic or Grand Marquis, whichever one it was? Yes, we had the Grand Marquis. We had the Grand Marquis. Yeah. Because I remember it was almost the same color and everything spec-wise as my yep. my Grand Marquis, which I still, I miss that car. Yeah. And I know that sounds like the most grandpa thing to say. It's a very grandpa thing to say. But it was so comfortable to drive. Okay, it was very comfortable. It yeah. was like it was like if and you could float above the road. Powerful cars. They're very powerful cars. Yeah. The problem is the car itself is so darn heavy. Yeah. That you really don't realize it's as powerful as it is. Yeah. Know? Oh, it's a very heavy. There's a reason the uh, reason the cops used it for a while. Because mm-hmm. it can hold lots of guys in the back, so you can either have a pizza party or you can have a bunch of criminals back there. Yeah, but the cops had a whole different. That was a whole different engine in that car. Oh, I'm sure it was because they had the Marauder version. The Marauder was like the sleeper yeah. Grand Marquis. Like it, it was dressed out as a Grand Marquis. Everything. The only difference was it was a much larger engine. Yeah. It sound. It. What's weird is it really sounded the same because the yeah. the exhaust system wasn't super souped up. Hmm. And so the Marauder, you know, I think some of the Marauders had a spoiler, which kind of gave it away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so granted, it was it was a Grand Marquis, but it's basically the same thing as what they really had, which is a Crown Vic. I'm sure some of them had Grand Marquis, but no, it... the Grand Marquis wasn't. It was it was Crown oh, Vics. No. <clears throat> I've got a good friend calling me that I can't answer right now. The uh, the Crown Vic was essentially the it was the Ford version of the Grand Marquis. Yeah, the Grand Marquis good. being a Mercury, it was considered a luxury vehicle. So no, that sounds really good. The uh, None of the police forces would have paid the extra money for a dressed up Crown Vic. Yeah. That's how I can tell you that it was 100% Crown Vics. There's a Crown Vic, yeah, but they look basically the same. They do. Yeah, they're, no. they're the same. There's the same line. Not the, same I mean, line, the but, only know. thing difference, honestly, let's be fair, it's the badges. Yeah, pretty much. You know, the interior's yep. the same. I could buy. What's funny is I could buy Crown Vic parts when I had the Grand Marquis for much cheaper. Oh, yeah. And they were the same part. Sure. All the time. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that is pretty much the story of yeah, the yeah. evolution mm-hmm. of, of that. It's been a while. It's taken a while for Dad to get a, a nice car. And Dad's car is now a little bit beat up, but is it a lot nicer than what he had. <laughs> they get this these little mystery bangs from people bumping into things. It's sad. That's one of the reasons I decided we're going to keep parking the... The Highlander right there. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's too big, really, for... Too big, too bulky, too much maneuvering. For all of those. Something's going to happen. It's much easier just for me to put my car down there and not have to worry so much about it. And I don't have to worry about whenever Allie does get her driver's license. I don't have to worry about worrying if she's going to end up with, you know, totaling someone else's car trying to parallel park. Yeah. I'd rather just not have those worries. Mm-hmm. I mean, I already worry enough about her going to the garage, so, you know, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, Briggs got a new car. I don't. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> it's pretty new to you. It's fairly new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It still is fairly new. I really like it. It's underpowered. Well. But that's okay. I don't really care. They, you know... All of the, the dad and mom mobiles are underpowered. Yeah. It's got lots of space, though. I like the space. Yeah. 
that was one thing I found out really incredible about the, you know, it's only, you know, it's not that much bigger. Why it's, it's wider, but it's not that much wider. It's like an inch or two maybe mm-hmm. from the Durango, but it feels like there's so much more space. Really? Nice. Yeah. You get in there and it's like, wow. Uh, the front seats don't seem as, as spacey because it has a very large console mm-hmm. in between that runs with all the electronics, but back seats, very spacey. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a lot of, a lot of room to grow and yeah for sure know. yeah but. and uh yeah and hey, what was that um what was that news thing that you showed me earlier oh yeah gosh i love this man i'm telling you desantis desantis, DeSantis. this guy <laughs> gonna play it yeah do it i'm gonna find it here so this is a pre- now i don't know the backstory i don't know what all was going on mm-hmm. it is a press conference yeah and uh, he's just kind of releasing. This isn't like suggestions. This is this is what's going to happen, and everyone just needs to be prepared. And in a good way. It was in a good way, but you know, you could tell he was prepared for the backlash, and so he was just like, "This is it. Is what it is." Mm-hmm. We're also doing permanent sales tax exclusions on all baby necessities, including cribs and strollers. It's hard enough raising kids as it is. Now you get baby food, diapers, wipes, the whole baby clothes, the whole shebang, including things like cribs and strollers, which are very, very expensive. So that is going to be permanently uh, tax-free in the state of Florida. Uh, We're also doing a permanent exclusion on all over-the-counter pet medications because they're parts of our families too. And these are things that you need to do. So that's going to give a lot of Floridians relief. And then we just added, because I think it needs to be done, uh, no tax permanently on gas stoves. They want your gas stove. (laughs) And we're not going to let that happen. We're not it. even a state. The way Florida was built, a lot of this wasn't even connected to gas lines. You got a lot of electric stuff. But it's just the principle of, you know, this is ridiculous that they, and they do want to go after it. They got blowback, so they kind of had to back off. They want to go after the gas stoves. And so we're saying, you know, we want you to be able to buy those uh, uh, free of charge from, from the state of Florida. We're also doing. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to go get me a gas stove after I, I move to Florida. <laughs> uh, I love how he's like, you know, this is just the way it's going to be. This is my way of fighting that they can't, yeah. they can't come for that. You know, this is like, it's weird because this is the one time in history. I'm not going to do it, but it makes this you is want the one to. time in history where you would want to move down to Florida yeah. just for their governor. And then like, if he, left office or got voted out or whatever or changed in any way, even for another Republican, it's like, bye, I'm leaving the state. You know? Yeah. Like I'd go down there just for him, but as soon as he leaves, I'm I'm leaving too. Yeah. You know? But dang, that's awesome. Yeah, I was uh, I was very happy to to hear slash see that. If we could only just, you know Well baby <clears throat> stuff is expensive. It you know? is really expensive. it is. And you don't you know, I don't think a lot of people think about how actually expensive it is. Oh yeah. Um, especially well, it can be pretty cheap if you want it to. If you really can, yeah. If you go into the world of like formula and all that, you're in for a wake up. Well, even without formula and stuff, it can still be cheap. There's ways to you know cut the 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 price. Um, one thing that's really nice and very loving and wonderful is 
you know, if you have like a baby shower or something, which if, if the girls, you, you know, find out that speaking as if I was a girl here, if the girls that, you know, find out that <laughs> you're pregnant, they're going to throw you a baby shower. Well, if they find out that I'm pregnant, they, they better throw me a baby shower. <laughs> <laughs> That's the least they could do. <laughs> um, but they're going to throw you a baby shower. And so um, that's really awesome. And it's incredibly helpful. It's the sweetest thing in the world. And, it just um, eases some of those issues. Yeah, because they'll have. get you a lot of stuff that, you know, you can make your whole little, um, you know, registry. You can put everything on there. And if people want to get you something on there, they can do it. Like me, I'd be like the heck with a baby shower. I'll just sign up for something, send it to you, but just not go, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, because I'm excited, but I, I don't really want to go to a baby shower. Now, if I was a woman, <laughs> that'd be a different matter. I'd be the first one there with cupcakes and a, a big stupid grin on my face. But, um, you know, it's 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 wonderful, you know? And so... Uh, you can, you can save a lot of money doing that just cause everybody's just really kind, you know, and you can go buy secondhand equipment, this, that, and the other. Now they say that if, uh, if any kind of baby, whatever has been in an accident and you shouldn't use it again as an engineer, I'm kind of like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But at the same time, it's probably still okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like recommended, but I'm like, oh, I don't know. My well, wife I know in some obviously states, disagrees, and so we're going to get new baby stuff. And in like, some okay, states, the cops will actually yeah. tag your equipment. Oh, really? Right there on the spot. Jeez. Well, I mean, that is that is nice. <laughs> it is kind of one of those I've heard of, like, some, like, and I don't know if North Carolina is this way, but it, at certain times, the uh, the state troopers are required to break the product. Oh, my gosh, so really? It can't be used, yeah, because it's been in an accident. In all honesty, I think that a lot of that's just marketing. <laughs> it, I'm, I'm sure it is. In some cases, like, I mean, if you were in a head-on collision and all of those car seats, if you had any, took a good bit of force. Yeah, if that's okay, sure, you know. Totally right. I can understand. Yeah. I mean, a fender bender, like, in the parking lot at mm -hmm. Walmart, I, I doubt that's necessary i don't know um, i just thought about that on the spot i was like you know what this stuff is probably still pretty good but, but like when, when that lady hit the durango stuff you know when that lady hit the durango when i was sitting at the stop up here on the on sweden creek i mean i didn't have any of the car seats in the car but that was a big enough snap that they they could have you know if i had had any in there mm -hmm. i just happened to the day before take it out because i was transporting something yeah and so all the car seats are technically at the house when this happened. Yeah. For sure. But. And if you want to be on the safe side, and yeah, get my new equipment, you know, do it for your baby. And they also say, you know, like, I, the one thing that I've heard that I think is really interesting is the expiration of eight years. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, you, you, they expire. Well, I did not know that. Thank you for telling me. Yeah, car seats technically expire. It's, a, it's an eight-year. They have an eight-year date of guarantee. What's going on with this car seat that it expires? <laughs> Does plastic That's, expire? And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with like what you were saying, lobbying and marketing. Um, but yeah, they have expiration dates. And if you have a car seat longer than eight years, you're technically supposed to re retire it. We're going to buy a duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to strap that baby in with duct tape. It won't go anywhere. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of duct tape. <laughs> a lot of duct tape. That's a stupid idea. Don't anybody do that. I you mean... Do, I didn't take the car first. seat sounds cheaper at this point. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's been being silly, but yeah, you know, um, we finally, we figured out what our baby is, which is awesome. It's still a baby. 
That's good. Nothing's changed. <laughs> Nothing's changed on that. But front. it happens to be a uh, uh, baby of the female variety. Oh, against all our suspicions. You know, it was it was funny and sad at the same time because as soon as we well, found trust out, me, I know. <laughs> as soon as we found out, you know, I was in there like. I think you guys are having a girl. And my wife is like, all oh, my motherly instincts are trash. I'm like, what? And she's like, I so thought it was a boy. I knew it was a boy. But it's a girl. I was like, it's okay, honey. She's like, my motherly instincts. Well, like, oh, yeah. yeah, I, I know. Allie did the same thing when when uh, we found out, which is not, we, none of us were expecting it. I was not. I was expecting a boy. I was thinking this is Which is funny. The only person that knew had hinted to it potentially being a boy, I thought, more than once. And, uh... Ah, she did that just to just to get you thinking it was a boy. I know, I know. I, I, looking back, I'm like, ah, fell into that trap. Well, but. the real trap that I fell into was my own, because... My track record is so bad. If I have a 50-50 chance on anything, I'm always wrong. Oh, I remember driving with you. I'm always with, wrong. With the GPS. If I don't know which way to go, left or right, <laughs> you pick and I just pick one is. at random, it will be the wrong way. <laughs> if I have a yes or no answer, I always get it wrong. You know, with this boy or girl, it's one or the other, right? Okay. And I'm like, oh, it's definitely a boy. And I should have thought at this moment, I should have been like, yeah, it's not going to be a boy. It's going to be a girl just because I think it's a boy, so it won't be. Right. Because I always get 50-50 wrong. Right. right. You know? It's like a statistical probability that I'm 100% wrong, <laughs> not just 50%. 50 <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm 100% wrong 50%. No, no, I'm 100% wrong when it comes to 50-50% of the time. <laughs> Jeez. It's complicated, oh. but uh, anyway sucks to be me but that's all right um not everybody has to do that just me for the you know fortunately for the rest of the world <laughs> oh my god oh, well, i think we're gonna take a break here and we'll be right back all right, all right. we are back okie dokie um so the topic that we've got today is Holy Communion, and we're going to look at its uh, origins and some stuff about it. I will say, unfortunately, um, this is a really big topic. Like, it's huge topic. Yeah, it's, there's a lot. There's no way that we can talk <clears throat> about all of communion and all the Old Testament, you know, uh, pointers and Passover and blah, 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 and all the new stuff and it's a big topic. Um, it really is. It's very important. Um, but we're just going to kind of give you a general idea of what communion is, what it looks like. And we're going to talk about as much about it as we can until, until we're out of time for today, folks. Um, but anyway, so let's, let's give this a start. So what is communion? What is the act of taking communion? What does that look like? Well, in short, Quick and easy, it's eating bread and wine and drinking wine. Okay, when you eat bread and drink wine, um, that is not communion per se, but it could be communion if you're in a church and it was, you know, um, plate comes by and get a little bread and then the other plate comes by and get a little wine. 
Um, but obviously, we're going to dive a little bit more into it. But it's eating of the bread and drinking of the wine. Okay, so let's look at it, a couple of Bible verses on communion. Uh, I'm going to bounce around here a little bit. Um, but let's start off with 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. We're reading from the Duck Commander Faith and Family Bible, New King James Version. I don't know what version you're using today, but we hope that you will join along regardless. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 11 says... Oh, 23 through 26. Okay, all right. Institution of the Lord's Supper. So, communion is also called the Lord's Supper, by the way. Okay. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now we're going to go in a little bit further. Examine yourself. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Um, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, uh, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my, brother, uh, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. So, um, that is the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, um, that's not the very first Lord's Supper. That's kind of where, after Jesus died, you know, um, uh, it was uh, written here to keep doing this basically so we're going to look in matthew 26 do, 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 do. matthew mark luke and john next to murders the romans that's zachariah wrong so did i tell everybody that everybody knows that juliana's pregnant and that we're having a baby girl did i say that on it you did yeah sweet did i tell you what her name is going to be no okay so my first name that I suggested, Juliana, quickly shot down. <clears throat> okay, we got to hear that one. I was sorely displeased. So, um, let's see. I got to get it right. Beautiful name. Uh, I think it was Shanene Bonquisha Lyons. Right. She didn't really care for that name too much. You know, I could see that she would have a problem with that. Really? I, I was like, you know, when I talked to Brian, her brother, I was like, you know, Brian, the first name that I suggested was Shanene Bonquisha. And he was like, now you're talking, boy. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I can also see that. <laughs> and anyway, 
Um, Juliana didn't really care for that name too much. Um, but the other name that we had, we had the only name that we had, the other one I just had, she didn't have that at all. But the other one we had was, uh, Eliza Marie Lyons. Okay. Eliza Marie Lyons. I was like, I like that. That's really good. Okay. Where so did Eliza, Marie from? so Marie is, uh, her mom's middle name. Okay. Yeah. And That's funny cause... flows nicely off of Eliza, yeah, Eliza, you know, Eliza Marie. Um, so yeah, we are crazy excited. Baby's coming in July. Pray. Um, anyway, uh, Matthew 26. I'm still not there yet. Cause I'm still as molasses in February. I have some molasses we can race. Yeah, I think the saying is actually cold as molasses in January, but I always thought the February was just as cold, so big deal. Oh, this year's definitely proving that. Yeah, I don't know. January is pretty dang stinking cold. It, well, no, actually, that was Christmas. December was colder, so cold as molasses in December. Got down really, really cold over here. It did. Busted lots of people's pipes, so I think <laughs> we had talked about that. Yeah, all of Asheville struggled. When he's... Six. Ah, here it is. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. That's right where you left it. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And after they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's a long time to not have wine. Ooh. Well, I had to wait, like, not 21 years, but realistically 21 years. I had wine before I was 21, but yeah. not like a glass. Dad to let us have a little bit like New Year's, Christmas, Thanksgiving, stuff like that. Just a little bit of wine. We had these little itty bitty little wine crystals, crystal glasses, and we would have one of those. Um, yeah, but that was that. But anyway, all that to say, that was Matthew 26 uh, through 28. Let's look at John 6.53. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Okay, John 6, 53. Uh -huh. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he eats my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. So, obviously, the bread and the blood is very important here. Or the flesh and the blood and the bread and the wine is very important here. It's symbolic. All right, so 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17. So we're going back to 1 Corinthians because I didn't plan this out very well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10. So it is 
Jeez. I just realized that yeah. you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody else realized earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The cup of the blessing which we bless is not, uh, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we through many are w- are one bread and one body. Uh, for though we all, uh, for we all partake of that one bread. Okay, so this is this is where, you know, the Lord's Supper and all that. This is where it's called communions because we take the Lord's Supper. It was commanded us by God. Jesus said, "Hey, do this in remembrance of me." Hey, do this in remembrance of me. And so we're like, "Okay, God, we will do this in remembrance of you." And they call it the Holy Communion of the blood uh, and the the bread. And the reason is because we're doing it together. We're one body. We're eating of mm-hmm. one body. We're drinking of one blood, and it's all Jesus. We'll go into that a little bit more in a little bit. Uh, Mark 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, Mark, 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 Mark. Uh, I've got a terrible joke about that that I'm not going to say here. <laughs> Mark 14, 22. All right, where he is. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Um, then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. When he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day which I drink the new kingdom of God. So this is reiterating. This is saying the same thing over and over and over again. So remember in it's Scripture, important. again, <laughs> if we say it, if God says it over and over and over and over and over again, like as Briggs said, it is important. It's like saying, pay attention to this. Exactly. Okay, so now Acts 27. Not 27, but 27. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came near to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So this is just more saying, hey, it was the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. I used to think it was the last day of the week when I was a kid. I still do that. I know. And it's because it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Even the rhyme that I learned as a kid has Sunday's last day. <laughs> what really throws me off, and this is still today as an adult. Like, we're not yeah. we're not talking, I'm still a child. Today, I struggle with looking at a calendar and going, where's Saturday and Sunday? Yeah. Okay. Because to me, Sunday should be over here right after Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so... I don't know what changed or why exactly, but growing up, I always viewed Sunday as the last day of the week. It was always Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives you a certain perspective on life. It really does. Now, when you get older, and if you realize that Sunday is actually the first day of the week, that's a little different. Because if you think about it, if you start your week on Sunday, think about starting on Sunday. Instead of ending on Sunday. Instead of ending on Sunday. <coughs> that's really starting good. your week with God. Now I just thought a really I just thought of a an incredibly good argument against everything I just said. 
which I do all the time. I'm sitting there like this, 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 this. But also, <laughs> and then I'll think about it. and I'll be like, I just destroyed my entire argument with one half a thought, which is God created six days and then rested on the seventh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that being said, I do believe the Jewish religion still honors the Sabbath as Saturday. Yes. And so that's that's where you get that from. Yeah. That is still that's their rest day. Mm-hmm. Um I'm honestly I would have to do some more digging on that. Yeah, I, I was about I, I just reiterated a thought that I've had numerous times and never I never followed through with this thought. Like I need mm-hmm. to look that up. I wonder when we had the change from Saturday being the Sabbath to Sunday, Sunday being the Sabbath. Because like the seventh day Adventist they all do it on Saturday. Yep. You know, the Jewish religion Jewish still, still does do it, it on Saturday. Saturday. I know there is a couple others that do as well. But I just wonder where the difference became. Like, when did we start using Sunday as the holy day? Yeah, at this point in my life, I'm kind of like, you know, it's tradition. Just do it on Sunday. That's right. what everybody else is doing. But why? It. But why? Because <laughs> that 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 is counter to I'm okay the with Bible. doing it. I'm yeah. okay with doing it for tradition as long as it matches up with what the bible says and it's not like you know blatantly sinful or anything yeah you know but we do do it on sunday so yeah that that would be a good we might need to do an episode on that like actually do some research and then go figure that out yeah because i mean there is obviously clear heading in genesis of when the sabbath day was you know he rested rested on on the seventh seventh day day, well our seventh day is saturday so why why are we not resting on Saturday? That's a good question. So that's not the topic for today. It's really not, but I mean <laughs> it's a good mind, question. Mind blowing. And I, what's sad is I've had this question before. Oh, I've had this and it always before. ends with me not thinking about I'm it after I've asked the sure question. I'm pretty sure that I've had the question answered before. But I probably didn't really care for the answer because it didn't remember it or just forgot it for the heck of it. You know, I, I would hate it to be something like, oh, we just did this for commerce. That would yeah, make me, that would make me really mad. Bad. I hope that's not the case because that was one of the things that I was thinking in my mind. Like, did we just do it for commerce? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's a couple other verses. Um, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for us the righteousness of the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Okay, so that's talking about the unity in Christ. Okay, um, that's okay, and we already did that. Uh, Ah, interesting. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, so, so a couple interesting things is Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. I jumped the gun a little bit. Um, but so there, there was a lot of passages there all in the new Testament about communion, the Lord's supper. And there's probably a couple more areas, but I think we hit all the big ones. Um, like Luke 24, 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. So just they're doing communion, uh, took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them. Same way. Take the supper, drank it. That's communion. Um, Jesus says, I am the bread of all, oh, I am the bread of life. Uh, your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, yet they died. Um, here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh. 
which I will give for the life of the world. Again, communion. You know, this flesh was broken for you. This body was broken for you. Take, eat, and remembrance of me. Um, so anyway, um, those are all talks about communion. Well, where does communion, where does the Lord's Supper really, really, really start? It's instituted in the New Testament, but it's a replacement for Passover. Interesting. Now, there's not replacements for Passover. There's not replacements for all the other feasts, as far as I know, just Passover. So Passover is a very interesting, it's a very special feast, apparently, since that one specifically got replaced in the New Testament by God. So let's look at the Old Testament laws on the Passover. We're going to go to let's Exodus. Let's take a break right oh, here, we'll take a break. and then we'll come right we'll, back. We'll be that. right back. All right, right, we are back. back. Okay, so, um, again, we're talking about communion. Communion is a replacement for the Passover. So what is the Passover? Let's look at the Passover. Let's read um, some of the Old Testament laws on the Passover and stuff in Exodus Exodus 12. (laughs) Accidents 12. Accidents 12. I mean, there were a lot of accidents. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so Passover instituted. Exodus 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron on the land in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall, cu- and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the, door- on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire and unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs that they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire. Its head with its legs and its entrails, you shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist and sandals on your feet, and the staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you in the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's why it's called the Passover, by the way. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. And whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them. But that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. 
Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of every of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a stranger or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel at the two doorposts with the blood and that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out to the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door, and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land of the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service, and it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the house of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Uh, so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. That is the first Passover. Okay. Um, they've got a couple of rules for the Passover after that. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, and, uh, yeah, a couple, a couple of more rules uh, regarding the Passover. But what is the Passover? It's literally God passing you over. When you sacrifice the lamb, put the blood up on the lintel on the doorposts, God was passing through Egypt. And when he saw that blood, he was like, oh, there's more people in there. And pass over them. They shall not be harmed. Okay. That's why it's called the Passover. Okay. So first, blood. There is blood required at the Passover. There is sacrifice required at the Passover. Blood and sacrifice. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen. Next, unleavened bread. So the house is supposed to be clean for leaven, from leaven for at least seven days. Okay. Um, and when they eat the Passover, they're supposed to be in the house, but they're going to have their belt on. They're going to have their sandals on. They're going to have their, their walking stick with them. They're going to be ready to go, and they're going to eat vigorously. No bunny slippers. No bunny slippers. That's right. Because you've got to be ready to go. Because the reason is, God obviously knew it was going to happen as soon as all the firstborn died no, in Egypt. No, yeah. you don't say. As soon as all the firstborn die in Egypt, the Egyptians are going to be like, ah, get rid of these guys. And so he's like, you guys are going to be leaving with haste. Just you wait. It's common. When's the last time you practiced track? Yeah. And <laughs> so uh, anyway, out, out they went. Can you imagine like a spoof of time travel? It's like, Oh, that's what y'all are wearing? It's like, yeah. Oh, we have tennis shoes. <laughs> so you have sorry, but you have blood and bread here. Unleavened bread and can I the kind of the define leavened? Because that's so that's a term. Leavened that is um some people may not know. If I'm not mistaken, 
Leaven is yeast. That's it's what I was thinking. It's just yeast. And when you add yeast to your bread, it's going to rise because what happens is there's a little bit of yeast that gets in your bread and it's going to eat the sugars and stuff in the bread and it's going to produce more yeast. And as it produces more yeast, these yeasts are living and producing uh, lots of either oxygen or CO2, probably CO2. And as it produces all this CO2, it bubbles inside of the bread which causes it to rise. Okay. Um, my cousin Caroline could probably give me a much better definition of all that just because she's a baker. Um, but as far as my understanding, that's what the leaven is. And so what they would do, what is ye uh, yeast is like bacteria and stuff like that. And so um, they'd have to go through their houses and just clean it really, really clean. And the reason is because Yeast is, like I said, it's a bacteria, and so it can it's just floating around in the air, right? And so it'll settle on substances, on stuff like, you know, your cupboards, your corners, um, stuff like that. And it can sit there and live for a while. Um, and when you bake bread, it can rise naturally from just natural yeast in the air, which is why you have to clean your house really, really good, get rid of all the dust and stuff like that. Because if there's any yeast present, it can get in the bread. And it'll produce more and more and more and more yeast, and then your bread will rise. And so, anyway, I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, so, did he say anything with yeast, baking powder, or baking soda is considered leavened? Yeah. I didn't know the full definition. I figure if we're going to use the term, we ought to sure clarify sure, that sure. because I know, like, it always confused me. You go to some churches and they give you a little cracker. Yep. And then you go to some churches and we have Hawaiian rolls. So it's like, okay. And I'm trying to think of the reason that... What's specific? Trying to think of the reason that he uh, ordained no leavening, unleavened bread. And I think it might be because we are separate. You know, we're not supposed to be uh, basically a little leaven. Leaven's a whole, you know, loaf. Uh, it's It's to separate us from the world. You know, we're not to be... We're separate, and so we don't want to be. We, we don't want our bread to be um, infiltrated by the yeast of the world, as it were. I think that's the symbolism there. I could be wrong. A very wheat from the shaft kind of. Yeah. Analogy. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm with you. I'm I following. I think you. that's what it is. If I'm wrong, there, please somebody say something. Give me a better definition. Um, but I think that's what's going on there. So we have unleavened bread. We have blood let's move on here so this is this is still going on today in communion it's a little bit different now but we're going to go into that um if my computer will come back on here we go all right so we read all that so we have unleavened bread we have wine okay so um let's go forward a couple thousand years we're back at jesus right jesus just instituted communion now jesus was crucified on passover let's look at this real quick um this is baby 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 no that's not it do, 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 do. oh where did it go uh there it is so there are those who maintain that the gospel of john contradicts the three synoptic gospels this is not my point here but this is a good you know example it does not the apparent but non-existent con contradiction is cleared up once a few things are understood um, where did I get this from? This is from um, somebody wrote this. Michael Way. Let me give him credit. 
Um, this is city-data.com. It wasn't too far out of the way, I hope. Yeah. Um, uh, we have to start with the fixed point. That fixed point is that all four Gospels clearly state that Jesus Christ was crucified and died on the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath. Uh, here are the four passages which show this. It's Matthew 27, 57. When it was okay. evening, there came a rich man from, Aram from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also been a priest disciple of Jesus. Um, blah, blah, blah. Remember that he was still alive after three days and going to rise again. Okay, I know the word Sabbath is mentioned here, but this passage is in agreement with the other passages. Okay, so it's just talking about the day that he died, it, which was after the preparation. Okay, so that uh, now on the next day, which is the one after the preparation. So he died on a preparation day. Okay, Mark 15, 42. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, and was himself waiting for God, uh, waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up in courage, went before Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. Okay, Luke 23, 54. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Okay, and let's see. Now the women who had come with him in the Galilee followed, and they uh, saw the tomb, and now his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, then on the Sabbath. They rested according to the commandment. Okay, John 19.31. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies did not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Okay, all four Gospels show that Jesus was crucified and died on the preparation day before the Sabbath. That's the fixed point. John 19.14, however, says something a little different. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, it was about the sixth hour, and he, Pilate, said to the Jews, Behold your king. John did not con contradict Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and he didn't contradict himself in John 19.4, contrasted with John 19.31, Sabbath or Passover. The Passover always fell on the 14th day of Nisan. That is the Passover, is the 14th day of Nisan. Nisan is the first month of the Jewish year, Le Leviticus 23.5. In the first month of the 14th day, on the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. By Jewish reckoning, a new day began at sundown. So at sundown, the 13th day became the 14th day. The Passover was also a preparation day for the Sabbath. But the weekly Saturday Sabbath is not in view here. On the day after Passover, on the 15th day of Nisan, the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread began. Okay, so now Jesus was crucified on Passover, the 14th day of Nisan, Passover proper, but Passover and the seven-day feast of unleavened bread were so closely connected they were often considered as one feast. There you go. So Jesus was crucified on Passover. Very important. Very important to my topic here. Okay, so let's look at this. Um, immediately before that, he instituted, he being Jesus, instituted communion. Okay. All right, this would not register until after he died. All right, that's why we were reading before in all the Gospels, Jesus broke bread, take this, uh, this is my body broken for you. Take this wine, drink it, uh, this is my blood shed for you. He did that over and over throughout the, the Gospels because they're all different people talking about the same thing. Um, but then later on in Corinthians, and I think maybe Acts, that's when that's when they're like, hey, Jesus instituted this. This is what it means. This is how we're going to follow through with that. This is communion. 
We're all taking a body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus together in union with Christ. Right. Okay. So, before Passover, Jesus instituted communion, the Lord's Supper. Okay. Now, before the crucifixion, what did Jesus call himself? He called himself many things. He called himself the bread of life. Let's just look at John 6, 35, which is a lot further in the Bible than I am here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, John 5, 6. John 6, 35. Okay, so in John 6, 35, what we have here is Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. So even before communion is instituted, he calls himself the bread of life. Okay. Uh, in John 15, 5, later on in Johnny John, later on in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Okay? So we're talking about vine and branches. Okay? So he doesn't really say explicitly here, but it's kind of suggesting that he is a grapevine and that you are the branches and that he wants you to bear fruit. So there's kind of grapes. Grapes make wine. Right. Insinuated there. Um, Blood of the fruit. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, so anyway, before he had called himself the bread of life and he's the vine, you're the branches and all that. And then when he dies on Passover, like he meant, like he said many times before, he is now, he is the ultimate sacrifice. We've said this many times before on this podcast. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. That's why we don't sacrifice anymore. And so before Jesus ultimately sacrificed he gave us a remembrance of the reason for the sacrifices take this bread this is my body which is given for you take eat do this in remembrance of me this is my blood this is wine drink it do this in remembrance of me now i will say to be perfectly biblically accurate jesus never says wine there he says uh this is this is the cup take the cup um, but he does say after that, um, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So this is a new covenant, right? <clears throat> Do this when you drink it in remembrance of me, uh, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever, okay, okay. That's not what I was looking at. Uh, where is it? Uh, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine. That's that's grape juice, which becomes wine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Right. So can I can I say something right here? Go in, go for it. This is something that has mind boggled me for years. And I don't know, depending on what church, you're going to get a different answer. So I'd actually like to take a poll with the pastors that I do know and, sure. and get a, a, a better take on this because I've never actually taken a good poll. But my question is, if we are to do this in remembrance of Christ, why do some churches do it once a month? 
why are we remembering Christ once a month? That's a good why are question. we not remembering Christ every question. single Sunday? Yeah. Why is it not that way? I've been to churches that it is that way every Sunday, prepared to remember Christ. Be just come that way. They have and it, a... it puts you in a position mentally to really have a better connection with Christ because you you know why you're here. Yeah. You're not just going because it's another Sunday. It's another yeah. service. You're going because you're there to remember Christ and what he's done for you. I, that just boggles my mind. That yeah. is very clearly in scripture. That's why we do it. If we have time to talk about it later, we can uh, discuss it a little bit. But one, one, one thing that I'd like to point out is that we're all humans. No. Yeah. So we're very imperfect. And I personally, <laughs> personally, I kind of like the denominations just because when people differ in thinking and they can't reconcile with each other, but it's not something worth like fighting over, then it is wise that they, you know, love each other as brothers, but move apart and... Yeah, you know, love each other that's at a distance. Been my view on denominations. Okay, so that's kind of the way I see denominations. Um, and you know, the Bible specifically condemns divisions, but you could take that as a like you know, divisions could mean anything. If you have ought with your brother, that could be a division right there. You know, um, and the so, Bible clearly lays out ways for you to be able to handle those quote-unquote division exactly you know and so basically and the reason being is because we're united that's the whole point of communion is we're community we're together we're united in christ one thing christ and so that's why it condemns divisions because it's like you're destroying the point of this uniting okay and i will say for those people that do not like denominations my wife is one of them so you know, I I agree with her on many different levels, and even a lot of levels as far as denominations and divisions go. Um, but what I was going to say is, divisions like denominations, it can actually like if you have poor teaching, then it can you know like I grew up Presbyterian. When I was little, I kind of had a poor view on a lot of the other denominations, like Baptist. I was like. Pfft. You know, anything, anything, you know, Anglican, Lutheran or whatever. I just, you know, they look Catholic. And so, you know, um, but see, I grew up non-denominational. So from, from me, I see it from a different perspective and I may dislike denominations for a couple different reasons. And I, Uh I don't think we have time to go into all of those, but just to touch base on what I've always thought and this is one of the reasons I'm a Presbyterian now. This yeah. is why, is because I saw in the non-denominational and uh, specifically that little vague line between non-denominational and Baptist, mm-hmm. there's no guidelines. There's no, this is what you do. It's more of a free-for-all for what you believe and what makes you feel good. Yeah. And I think that's where it becomes dangerous. That's the problem is that they take all the teachings from thousands of years and like, you know... We're just going to read the Bible and we're going to understand it perfectly. It's like, well, right. And you're and, throwing off the teachings and that they don't want you know, to insult anyone. And so yeah. it's this big, I'm sorry. This is my view. Jesus was not concerned about insulting people. No, that was not, that was not his job. That's was this, this was some, he was brought here to save a population of individuals. Okay. <laughs> uh, insult 
bears no consequence there. No. It really doesn't. And so when you spend all of your time walking on eggshells to not lose members, what you're doing is not only confusing people, but you're ending up with situations like me where I have a negative view of just saying, well, I don't have a denomination. Well, that can be dangerous because what do you believe? Right. Yeah. What do you believe? And oftentimes you ask someone who is non-denominational, they're going to give you a synopsis of who Jesus is and how he makes people feel good. I, I don't, that doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I need to know what you believe. Yeah. And in most denominations, non-denomination is kind of obviously in the phrasing. Yeah. They don't really have a guideline. Whereas the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, shoot, even the Baptists, mm -hmm. they have a guideline of what they do believe and what they don't believe. Methodist, you know, they're a Wesleyan. So, yeah. you know, they're a spinoff of the Reformed faith themselves. So it's it's one of those things, at least they believe in something and they're going to stand by that. Do we all have to believe the same? Like you said, if, if it's not going to be something so controversial that it sends people to hell, it may be better for the two sides yeah. to kind of separate, which is where the and Wesleyan what it, and, and Methodist end What up. it really turns into, I think, is it fosters kind of dislike for the other denominations just because... Yeah. You know, it's like baseball teams. There is no moral, rational, or real reason to like or dislike one baseball team over the other. <laughs> there's none. Absolutely none. It's like, okay, so this baseball team is, you know, there's people from, you know, they're all hired by... Uh, Scouts. Yeah, whoever. It doesn't really matter. You know, it, there, there's no moral reason to like or dislike no. one baseball team or another. But if you are a Braves fan because, what are they, Atlanta? Yeah. Atlanta Braves. If you're if you're from Atlanta, you're a Braves fan. And so if you look around and see some other baseball team like the Seattle Mariners or something, you're just going to hate their guts because they're a different team. You're playing the same game. It's just, it doesn't really matter. It's not really rational. It's like, this is my team. That's yours. Pick a side. It's like, ah, why? You and I, th I think that's, and that's what, what it kind of turns into. Because when you grow up Presbyterian, They'll always say Baptists over here, Lutherans over here. And when you're a kid, you're like, oh, what is this? Some other religion? Baptist or Lutheran? Oh, oh gee, well, I don't know about that. You know, those guys are wrong, wrong, wrong. We're right. And that's that's wrong. You know, it's wrong to think that way. Um, what is right is to go to Bible, look at it and say, here's why I think that they are wrong over here. That doesn't mean that they're any less brothers but I yeah. just think that they might be wrong on this topic. And 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 that's fair. What I what I like to see is when you have people from different denominations who know their differences and are willing to talk about it. I love that so much. And you I know, have so many friends who are, you know, I've got Catholic friends, I've got Lutheran friends, I've got Anglican friends. In fact, there's a church that my brother Robert goes to, is St. Michael. And what what do you all share? Jesus. Exactly. We share Jesus. Exactly. You know. And Robert goes to St. Michael's whenever he's in Charlotte because that's the church that he went to. Right. And it's an Anglican church. Son. There's nothing wrong with that. I felt so at home with that church. When I went there for the first... I just went once. Some of the best Those services I have been at. wonderful, loving, Jesus people. I mean, I go in there and the body of Christ, the love of Christ, it's present. It's there. I can feel it. It's tangible. You know, the way they treat my brother Robert, it's, you know... He goes over there all the time for, you know, some of the people in the congregation, they'll have parties and stuff, and they'll invite him just because, you know, they knew that he he's Presbyterian, 
But Robert's like, it doesn't matter where I came from. I find Jesus here, and so I'm comfortable. Right. You know, that's the way we should be. You know, are they going to do things a little differently? Sure. Is it within reason? Sure. You know, um, pretty much most of the other denominations are different interpretations of Scripture, different parts of Scripture. And I've noticed that some some of them take some things like if you take a Baptist service, it's going to be the freedom in Christ. You know, you're going to be like, you know, oh, we're free to worship the way we really want to. God does lay out some guidelines for worship, but, you know, there is a lot of grace involved. And so if we slip up, he's not just going to bolt us with lightning or anything. Right. Um, But at the same time, you know, unfortunately, we have diverged from the topic. A little bit. But that's okay. What I was going to say is, um, well, hold on. Let's let's take take a a break. break. We'll be right back. Yeah. We are back. Yes, we are. Okay, so we've now established that Jesus is replacement for the Passover. He has replaced the Passover completely. He is the sacrifice. He provided the blood, and he provided essentially the bread. Okay, with his body. I mean, that's he is, why he, he says, is the bread of life. I am the blood. Drink from this cup. I am the bread. Eat from my body. Okay, so that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, and so you can see in Corinthians in eleven twenty-three through twenty-six that they kept on the Passover. Okay. But as communion, and so we're still doing that today, you know, um, and so uh, there's a interesting, there's an interesting topic um, with a lot of churches. Brig had already mentioned the, you know, why don't we have communion every week? If we're remembering Christ. Like- I'm with you on that completely. I would love to have communion every week. Our church, my church, not our church, but my church, we have communion every month. And for me, I'm just like, why? Which is a big plus because it used to be once a quarter. I'm like, really? Jeez, yeah. Lake Gap used to be once a quarter, either that or once a third. I was about to say, that must have been before I started going to Lakey Gap. Yeah. Because as long as I've gone to Lakey Gap, it was every month. No. Has it not been? Nope. It's been once a quarter. When when did that start though? It started probably about I'm gonna say take a just random guess at like two weeks ago. Ah, uh, not weeks, two years ago, not weeks ago, two years ago. It was about the time that I came back from school. Okay, okay. Started doing it, and it might have been a little bit longer than that. I was about to say, but I, I know remember. for a fact, I know for a fact that it's only been it's been once a quarter for many, many, many years. Well, I started going there in 2016. Yeah. Well. 2015. I just don't remember the difference. I don't remember it being that long in between. That's weird. I cannot tell you exactly. Now, in all fairness, during that time, I had a lot going on. Yeah. So missing that, as as sad as it says. Well, you know, the thing is, is is if you do it, 
if you miss one communion, like even now, if you miss one communion Sunday, it's going to be another month. That's two months before you've had one communion. Yeah. And we used to do it once a quarter. And if you miss that one in particular, which you'd be surprised how often on that particular Sunday, you've got something that comes up. Or you're sick. Yeah, that's half a year. It's like, geez. You know, that's a long time. Um, And there's a lot of arguments for like, you know, well, if you do the communion too often, then you'll just get used to it. It won't be as special to you. And I'm like, that's not what the Bible says. Yeah, see, the Bible doesn't care whether it gets, you know, too, you know, it it becomes less special or it becomes um, more of a habit. It, it says, do this whenever you meet. See, and I, I have had, I had a pastor tell me, and what's funny, try not to get emotional. He actually just passed away about last week oh, before last, so this is kind of a thing. Who but, was it? Uh, Brother Tom Ruane. We've, okay. we've never, I've tried, I've wanted to get him on the podcast numerous times. He's been battling Almost every health issue I think that you can have no in the last four years. Yeah, uh, he was the one that was supposed to do Shay's wedding, and oh. he was having some lung issues, and he couldn't breathe to walk out to the car. Like, so it was it was pretty aggressive, and it it evened out, and he was better. And then he got sick with something else, and it's just he has not been in great health. Uh, yeah. But he's continued preaching when he can. Like he's servant of god like that kind of that was his attitude but he had told me one point that and what's funny is i really didn't think about this until just now because i remember this conversation and it's probably because i know he just recently passed and i've been thinking about him a lot sure but his argument was if you do it once a month that's the only time you're going to ponder all of your decisions all of the sin that's in your life daily mm-hmm. and why you need Christ. Yeah. If you do it once a month, that's the only time that you're going to really deeply look at yourself and how you need to imitate Christ. And I, I think that that rings true. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do it every week and that's your, you, you know, going in the church service is going to mean so much more. Because you're going into this not as just another sermon, mm-hmm. but with that sermon comes with a moment to remember why you're here. Yeah. And be able to examine yourself and everything that's happened since last week. Because no, nobody can tell me you don't send week to week. It just yeah. doesn't work. I mean, you send moment to moment, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think it's more healthy and you have to look at it in that sense. Is it healthy for Christians to do this or do that? What's going to be more healthy for you and for the body of Christ? And I think having communion on a weekly basis is going to be more healthy because yeah. you have this you know, community of people coming together, and they're all remembering Christ. They're yeah. all looking at themselves. They're all thinking of, what have I done this week that's not becoming of Christ? What do I need to change for next? These thoughts go through. I know they go through my head every time I have communion. I can't say they necessarily go through my head until we have communion. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's, I know what you mean. there's a connection between what Christ has done for us and 
what we have done for Christ. And is there a middle ground that we've reached or do we need to still work on some things? And do we need to get close? We always do. But it helps you narrow in on exactly what has happened in the past week. Yeah. If you go a month, there's going to be so many things that, let's let's face it, you're going to forget week to week. Yeah. You know, a sin that maybe was boiling on you until you forgot about it. Yeah. You know, but if you do it every week and you have that moment to be able to actually come to Christ and come before Christ with this thought of, this is what we're doing. We're here to remember Christ. That's that's the position here. If we think about that every Sunday, I think we'd all be much better for it. Absolutely. I, that's what I think. Um, and it says uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, See, for I have received the Lord, which also I delivered unto you, and the Lord Jesus, uh, same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And the same manner, he also took the cup, which he supped, saying, had had supped, saying, the Lord is, oh, this is King James Version. The Lord is my New Testament and my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye shall show the Lord's death until he comes. Wherefore, whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Uh, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you came together to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that he come not together unto condemnation. The rest of us and the rest will I set in order when I come. So this is interesting because there's apparently a unworthy and a worthy manner in which you can eat the Lord's Supper. Okay. Um, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What most people take that as in general without looking too deeply in it is if you're not a Christian, don't do it. And that would be a good reflection off of the um, the Passover because at the Passover it says, hey, foreigners cannot take the Passover unless, unless they sit under your roof and I'm circumcised and all that jazz. So it's like, chances are they probably don't want to take it, you know. Um but this is kind of the same deal where it's saying, hey, there's an unworthy and worthy way. And if you're unchristian, if you're not a Christian, you could be drinking damnation to yourself. OK, um, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Uh, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I'm not really sure what that means exactly. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Let me look at this in a different version and see if it clears it up any. This is King James Lango. Come on, let's see. Does it change it up any? Here we go. Let's try this out. For if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. 
I think he's kind of saying if we tried to judge ourselves, we wouldn't judge ourselves. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned among the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, eat to eat, wait for one another. So there was a lot of issues that was coming up in the church. You know, a lot of people were, you know, eating without everybody else and stuff like that. And this is just talking about, you know, you, you got to be in union with each other. Now, one issue that we come up with now, actually within the last couple hundred years, is wine or no wine. So we've talked about before, the Bible talks about in, um, you know, it's obvious that Jesus is talking about wine here, okay? So the Jews, though in the, if you look at the, uh, um, the Passover, we know that they drink a lot of wine during the Passover, okay? It's wine, unleavened bread, and then whatever the, you know, animal is sacrificed. Ah, uh, but if you look in the Old Testament, I couldn't really find anywhere where it talked about them drinking wine for, as a commandment for the Passover itself. There's a lot about drinking wine. There's a lot of wine offerings um, and sacrifices. Um, but as far as the Passover, I couldn't personally find anything where it talked about drinking wine at the Passover. But we know now... A lot of wine is actually drank at the Passover. I don't know if that's tradition or not, so don't quote me on whatever. Um, but what was the Passover that sacrificed that blood? And then Jesus comes along and he says, this is, take this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And when he talks about, I will not drink of the vine again, so he's not drinking of it again until he sees us after um after he is risen okay so he's obviously talking about wine there the fruit of the vine is wine okay um and a lot of christians now they take issue with the fact that it is wine they're like no christians don't drink wine they drink <laughs> grape juice and that is so unbiblical I just do not understand it. Now, there's a lot of people who have problem with wine. They have problem with alcohol in general. And so they're like, well, alcohol is obviously a bad thing for me and for everybody around me. It's destroyed my family. So obviously it's a bad thing for everybody. So when God talks about wine, drink, whatever, you must just be talking about grape juice. Now, this is actually, I don't, it's not a heresy, but it's a fallacy. It is a wrong teaching that started back in the late 1800s during the temperance movement. And basically what happened is you've got all these temperate, uh, temperance women who are, um, you know, protesting against the consumption of alcohol. And there's probably good reason that they were protesting against it because there's a lot of drunkards and stuff during the time. There, I, don't, I think that's just going to be a constant thing for this world is drunkards. Um, and... So they were like, you know, that's that's where prohibition came from. That was a that was an extension of the temperance movement. So prohibition basically we we outlawed, we out federally outlawed alcohol. And I'm like, why? That's crazy. And it was a terrible and evil and an unconstitutional thing to do, in my opinion. Um, but for everybody who doesn't drink alcohol anyway, they're just like, whatever, you know, that's good, it's great. But during the temperance movement, you have all these women against alcohol, and a lot of those same women are just like Bible thumpers, okay? 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but they would extend their temperance to the Bible and they'd say, okay, so for communion, we're not going to drink alcohol because we're against it. Well, then how do you take communion? Well, and then Mr. Good Boy Welches comes along and he says, I'll sell these women some communion grape juice. And the problem is, is that grape juice, you can't keep grape juice without it fermenting naturally. <laughs> it will ferment naturally. That's what it does. So I have a really, if you don't mind. Well, let me finish this and I will remember yeah, you. This is, yeah, um, this is actually really funny. So grape juice will ferment naturally if you just keep it. Okay. And so what did he do? This guy Welch's, he figured out how to stabilize the grape juice so that it would stay good and not ferment. And so he sold this specifically, advertised it to churches and stuff who were following the temperance movement, would not drink wine, and so didn't want wine during communion. And so that's where we get Welch's grapefruit juice. I mean, Welch's grape juice in communion. Such great marketing. So what were you going to say? I was saying is I had a manager. I have a manager. Uh, he and I were talking. And I don't know how we got on the subject, but it, I, I I believe I was probably talking about my kombucha and stuff mm, that I've done. And no, what we were talking about. Told him I, I want to eventually dabble in distilling things and dabble in winemaking sure and he and i were joking about it. he said well i do have a funny story about that i'm like okay well let me sit down for this because this is gonna be good story. and uh he said my sister was going to school one time and uh he said my mom she was in a rush she didn't think about it and we were talking about wine so i was like well this is interesting keep going you know and and he said my mom packed my sister's you know to go bag for for school and everything and then they sent her to school and then hours later the school called her and said your daughter's not acting right you know she's like stumbling all over the place you should probably come get her and it was everybody was so very curious and they found out that the apple juice that they had had in the freeze in the fridge <laughs> had been there so long it had fermented oh, and funny. she was drinking essentially she's alcoholic apple juice that's funny yeah, that's what happens to that stuff. If you leave it, it's going to eventually ferment. Yeah, and okay. it was just something that, you know, he said my mom always bought a lot of apple juice, and so that's it funny. was just whatever was there, and she just happened to be at the end of the barrel of what they normally had for apple juice, and we that one hadn't that. been opened, and it had fermented. We apparently. used to do that. We would open some apple fruit, some apple juice, some of that like apple cider, you know, that's mm -hmm. raw, doesn't have anything, anything in it. It's just apple juice. And if you get a glass of that and just set it in the back of the fridge and just wait and hope that your parents don't find it, then in a couple of weeks you can drink it a little bit later and be like, oh, that's got a little bit of a zazz to it, you know. Um, so that's what that's what grape juice does naturally and so um there's another question as to whether they actually drank wine during the passover which we know that they did jesus you know drank wine and so he had it at communion um and you know the jews to this day i was actually looking this up apparently for passover now 
they have four glasses of wine for different symbolic this that and the other and i won't go into that because i don't understand it too well um looking in scripture i couldn't really find that i'm sure that should i'm sure that's some sort of you know um you know perturbation of whatever i'm sure it's tradition of some kind um but if you were to have wine for passover okay um if you look at uh, this is a life hope and truth by andy burnett wine or grape juice at the passover jesus observed the night before he died he introduced a new ceremony using bread and wine this is wine he used fermented does it matter um so jesus drank this wine during passover okay this is before this is while he is he is instituting the lord's supper this is passover it's technically communion but he's instituting communion over passover during passover and he has wine okay and so they were all having wine during passover okay and so you don't see where it's mandated in the old testament to drink wine but that's what they were drinking during passover and jesus did so i guess it's okay you know um but uh if they drank one one argument that I heard was that, you know, they must have drank wine at I mean grape juice at Passover, not wine. And I'm thinking, well that's that's that that can't be. And let me tell you why that can't be. They did not drink grape juice at Passover. If they drank anything from the vine, it would have been wine. And I will tell you why definitively. First off, they did not have preservatives back then. As we know today, they did not have anti-fermentation, anything back then. Anything that could ferment would ferment naturally. Um, and so if you look in Deuteronomy, it says the Festival of Tabernacles. Celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered pr the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. So this is saying celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles a week after you you know, gather all the produce from uh, your wheat and your wine. So for your wine press, okay? So grapes, are gathering grapes here. Well, when did they get this? When is the Festival of Tabernacles? Well, Festival of Tabernacles, also called the uh, Sukkot, I guess. Uh, that's the best that I can do anyway. Um, so that's the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. That took place um, on the 15th day of Tishri, okay? And it lasted for, I think, a week or so. Um, and that is in October. So the Feast of Tabernacles was in October. Now, this is a, harvest, a modern harvesting and ingathering based on moder modern agricultural practices in Israel. And for their grapes, it's between June, July, August, and September. Okay, so Tishri is in October, and so that's when they would be. So they would be, you know, growing their grapes during these growing months, and then they would have their full harvest, and um, you know, they'd be pressing it at the beginning of October. So that 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 matches up perfectly. Okay. All right, so now they have all these grapes pressed in October, 
Okay, when is the Passover? Well, the Passover takes place on the 14th, or no, I guess it's the 15th day of Nisan. And Nisan in the um, uh, the Jewish uh, calendar is April in our modern calendar, okay? So April. So that's about, what, six, seven months, okay? Yeah. And if you look right here on um, Ehow, how long does it take to make wine? Um, if you look down here at the bottom, it says, while you could drink your wine immediately after bottling, even relatively short aging will gently will greatly improve it by allowing the wine to mellow. Six months is the recommended aging for most white wines and many reds. Some better wines, you know, will age for up to a year or so. But anyway, so about six months months will make good wine. Just watch Bottle Shock. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> that's a good movie. That's a really good movie. I have to watch that movie on my honeymoon in Key West. We watch Bottle Shock. Speaking of movies you need to watch, we still need to watch Bullet Train. It's true, we do. I'm looking forward we to need, that. We need to have a side note. Never yeah, mind. Yeah, continue. Yeah. But anyway, so if you think about it, they harvest the grapes in October. They press them. They bottle them or keg them or whatever for a couple of months. And then it's ready for Passover. Okay. And so that's a good six months. The only way that that wine can last for that long is if it ferments naturally. It's the only way. There's no other way it could last that long. Not and back the only then. Minute, the only time it fermented faster was when Jesus helped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus turned the water into wine. It See, was we not could also use juice. that as an argument. Yeah. And there's Jesus another thing. Jesus did not turn it to grapefruit juice or grape juice. I forget where it is exactly. Um, hold on. Maybe I can even find it for you. We'll see. Um, let's see. Um, no, apparently I'm really bad at finding things for you. But anyway, there's a place in the New Testament, and if I find it, I'll let you know, where... Um, I think it's Paul is ridiculing some of these churches because um, they were drinking too much wine during communion and getting drunk. And, you know, he was ridiculing them for that. And so it's like, okay, well, you can't get drunk on grape juice. In fact, you'll probably just get sick and barf. Um, but you can easily get drunk on wine. So, you know, in all the in all the places in the Bible where it talks about wine and strong drink or whatever, you're not talking about grape, uh, about grape juice. And if I say grapefruit juice, I apologize. I'm meaning grape juice. I've already said it once. Yeah, anyway. Um, grapefruit juice, I'm sure, might. Well, I don't know if it'll ferment naturally. It might just go bad. Actually, actually, that is so far some of the best kombucha I've made. Oh, grapefruit? It ferments very well. Nice, nice, nice. Um, All of the ones that you were like, yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, all of that to say, uh, they drank wine over Passover. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Hold on. Let's see. Um, uh, 
So even uh, Jesus drank wine. Uh, here, this this is uh, doctrineanddevotion.com. It says, who drank wine in the Bible? Who drank wine in the Bible? Almost everyone. Drinking wine is was uh, normative for all Jews. Uh, through the Levitical priests in service at the temple, the Nazarites and the Rebekites abstained from wine. Um, in the New Testament, John the Baptist also abstained. Despite what some today claim, Jesus himself drank wine. Um, Luke twenty two eighteen, Matthew eighteen nineteen through twenty, twenty six twenty seven through twenty nine, and was charged with drinking too much by his accusers. Um, then here it says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So Jesus was drinking wine, y'all. Um. And so, I'm sorry, but there's just no doubt about that. Um, and that is, that's really all there is to it. You know, that's really all there is to it. Um, let's see. Okay, so the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which we need to take a break here because we're running out of time. Um, we'll, we'll come back and I'll finish up real quick and then we'll start. Uh, we'll take a quick break. All right. We are back. We are back indeed. Okie dokie. Well, fantastic. Um, hopefully you're a little bit more informed about communion in general. Um, honestly, I wanted to talk and I, I think I did definitely talk. A little bit more about the wine aspect than uh, the bread aspect, possibly because I like wine better. <laughs> um, but uh, also just because it's very important, and it's actually kind of controversial. Now, all aspects of communion, all aspects—I kid you not—are controversial in churches. So, bread or not, okay? If you go to um, a higher church. Uh, like uh, Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopal, they uh, serve like wafers, Anglican. Don't they? Yeah, you'll get a wafer. And when I say a wafer, I don't mean like, you know, a chocolate wafer or anything. It reminds you of those little candies that come in like the smallest square possible. I don't know what those were called. I remember having them as a kid. They're almost like gum, but they're not. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't sure. know if you ever had those. That's what know. they remind me of. They're a little tiny, if we're talking about the same thing, they're a little tiny square about yay big you mm -hmm. know probably a quarter of an inch by a quarter of an inch yeah. you know and that's your that's your bread yeah but it's uh think about like a uh a sugar cone mm -hmm. like the cheapest sugar cone you can find compressed into a wafer like a little circular wafer it's just tasteless yep now personally i think sugar cones are tasteless anyway but if you can imagine something without sugar or cone, just like the papery aspect of the sugar cone. It, it's, I, I don't know why they started doing that. I think it's a mass production thing. Ha, <laughs> You get it? I didn't get it until a second after I said it. <laughs> a mass production? Oh, because the Catholics, I always associate was, with the Catholic Church. That was really good. I'm sure that they started it. I could be wrong on that, but 
They're the ones that we always associate. I'm gonna be with honest. It. Until I, I heard you laugh for a second, and then I was like, "You're like, what the heck is he? He's laughing oh. again." But uh, anyway, yeah, I think it's a mass production deal. Ah, <laughs> uh, but um, anyway, um, yeah, that's what they give you. And the one thing that I like differently, um, okay, so anyway, let's keep going on that trend there. So the second part is, uh, so the wafer. You could have the wafer, like in the higher church, you get the wafer. In quote-unquote lower churches, you'll get bread. Uh, there's debate on whether it should be leavened or unleavened. Personally, I prefer unleavened just because, you know, uh, that's that's what you were supposed to have, like, you know, the Feast of Unleavened Breads during Passover. Right. So unleavened would be good. Um, but a lot of churches do not have unleavened bread, as far as I know. They just use bread, uh, like Gap did. Uh, the church that I went to in Austin, a Redeemer, lot of the churches I've been to use like the Hawaiian rolls and they just I break them up. Those. I don't like those at all. Yeah. I've, I've never been a huge fan cause I think, it and I think of, that's what Lakey Gap uses. Yeah, they do. That's, that's what brought it up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, because for me, that kind of totally defeats the purpose of calling it unleavened bread. Yeah. There's nothing leavened about it. Uh, unleavened about it. You know, um, personally but, I prefer like a, a flatbread. You know, and bread that doesn't have leavening, you know, I mean, I hate to throw this out there as like sounding crutchy, but, you know, you also got to think about like people who are diabetics with Hawaiian rolls because the amount of sugar those things have in them are not small. Well, I don't worry about that as much just because it's a small portion. Don't give really you much anyway. It doesn't matter. But I mean, yeah. you have to wonder how many people are hesitant because of that is really where I was going. Maybe. I, I don't know. Some people I imagine would. Be I just don't like the sweetness in them. I don't either because it kind of my bread should. I don't like sweet bread, actually. If it's sweet, it's better be cake or cookie. I'll eat banana bread. But honestly, banana bread is sweet enough to be what called cake Texas, anyway. What about Texas Roadhouse Rolls? Come on. Tell me you're on the page with that one. No, really? No, I, I don't. Actually... I don't like the sweetness in it. I will eat it and enjoy it. I, I but think. I, would prefer I think. The sweetness. I'm with Alyssa on this one. I think uh, the only reason I really enjoy them that much is because of that cinnamon butter. I don't like that either. You really? Don't? I do not. See, that's the only reason I really get involved with the rolls. We went to. Um... And to be honest, I can't have rolls anymore anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. But... <laughs> uh, my wife and I we went to Gatlinburg and we went to the uh, the Texas Steakhouse. I think it's called the Texas. No, the Alamo Steakhouse. It's called the Alamo Steakhouse. <laughs> and they had okay, they had so a that's sweet fitting since they had a roll with a sweet butter that went with it. And I, I was like, no, not sweet butter. I tried a bite or two, and I was like, no, no, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, Good for you. That's what lures me in. But um, well, if they have anything other than that, other than that, like I don't, a I rye don't like, or a white or something like that, oh, I'll, I'll suck that. Down. I don't like bread in general, so that's yeah. that's a thing with me. I'm I'm the outlier in my family for that. Yeah. Most of my family just loves bread. I love I, bread. I really do. I see. I could I could leave it on the side of the road forever. It doesn't. It does not interest me to that level. Um. But anyway, so leavened or unleavened, uh, a lot of churches don't even think about that. Um, and so, yeah, bread, uh, what Redeemer used to do is use, um, they had their own recipe of incredible bread. It was a flat bread and it was loaded with olive oil. Oh, it was so good. Oh my gosh. And if it dried out a little bit, 
then it just get a little crispier and you can break it off easier. And they would just, they would just serve whole flat, like, you know, maybe five inches diameter, just flat rounds. And they just make a whole bunch of those on a whole bunch of different pans. And then just, you know, have a stack of that in the basket when they pass the bread and you just break a piece off. And that is the bread you get. Anyway, fantastic. That's actually a really good idea. I love it. And so there's that. And then for the wine, a lot of churches are like, we don't do that because Jesus didn't drink wine. That's sinful. And I'm like, no, Jesus made wine, drank wine. Like we already have discussed what they had at Passover or not, or just whatever they had determined was wine. It aged and fermented. Well, and it can only ferment if you keep it that long. If you're drinking wine in the spring, it's going to be fermented. And the proof is in the pudding here. Yeah. You know, um, my argument has has never changed, actually, because mm-hmm. uh, I have I have quite a few friends that are hardcore Southern Baptists. We don't drink wine. That's not what Jesus drank. Yeah. And something I have never got a good answer for, and it's probably why it's my argument, is because I've never actually got an an answer that allows it not to be a decent argument. Yeah. Is if grape juice is the all-powerful thing that we pretend that it is in our Southern Baptist friends' minds, mm-hmm. is why did Luke, a doctor, a doctor, yep. so he would have known about these things, why did Luke tell Timothy to drink water or, I mean, to, to drink water. Jesus is water. Uh, wine to cure his issues with his stomach. Yeah. Why? Yeah. We know grape, grape juice does nothing. Yeah. It does nothing to help that. But wine, and I can speak to this because I have stomach issues. Yeah. And if I don't have wine at least once, twice a week, I'll have stomach pain relentlessly. Yeah. But if I drink a little bit of wine, and it doesn't have to be much, you know, sometimes just, half a glass. Like he said, you know? a little wine. A little wine, just a little half a glass to, to clear out the system. And and this is something I've, I've talked to Clayton about numerous times is if I have, like, if I have a bunch of things that have, like, let's say if I, if I actually eat anything that has gluten in it, because I am gluten intolerant, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to have a rough time. Yeah. The only thing that makes that less is if I drink some wine. If I know I've had gluten and or like and I've done this before. I've eaten something and then somebody goes, "Oh, that has gluten in it" because they know I have issues with that. Yeah. My first step is drink wine when you get home before you go to bed. Yeah. And try to limit casualties. And yeah. it works. Yeah. It doesn't work all the way, but it does work. And I'm glad that you brought up the gluten thing cuz that was something that I forgot to mention. Gluten or gluten-free for the bread, you know, leavened non-leavened wafer whatever or gluten-free because there's a lot of churches like well if you don't provide gluten-free then you're going to kill somebody and that's just not christian i'm like why don't you have gluten and non-gluten if you're going to do that and my thing is if you know you're gluten intolerant then you know you're not going to grab the bread and eat it and if you want to be sensitive towards that then have a little bit of gluten-free bread just because Statistically, most people are not gluten intolerant. They don't have celiac or something. Uh, and so even if you did, like true like true gluten like 
people that are truly sensitive to this stuff, they'll they'll have a bad reaction and they'll be staying away from bread anyway. Mm-hmm. If you have gluten free bread, then they'll be like, okay, great, you know. But generally, you can find out ahead of time. You know, if they don't know the church, they're probably not going to eat the bread just because they don't know if it's gluten free or not. Okay, you could say that you have some gluten free bread, and then there you go, problem solved. You know, but forcing everybody in your church, like the majority of the people in your church, to have gluten free bread when only one or two or three people in the church have gluten intolerance. That's also silly. Yeah, that's kind of silly. It's like, wh- why would you do that? You know, why don't you just, you know, if there's somebody who is gluten insensitive, is gluten sensitive, then just have a little bit of gluten free bread for them. And so, anyway, there's that. And then, like the wine part, you know, like I said, some people. I just... actually know a guy that brings his own bread. That, that works. Whenever... That works. Because he actually he he's uh the, the guy that I'm talking about. He actually goes to different churches, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of his thing. He doesn't have a home church. He literally goes to different churches. Um, he has, he has some hearing disabilities, so oh, okay. He goes so he's to, different... to go around to. He goes to there and there's a deaf church here in, in Asheville. But mm-hmm. um, when I was talking to him, he said, I just go to different churches because cool. I want to see what other churches are doing that my church is not. Because he has he has a church that, quote unquote, is his church, but he spends his time looking at different outreach programs. And that's, that's cool. one thing he does is he brings his own bread in the case that they have communion because he doesn't know if these churches. And have they communion. don't. And he yeah. can just eat communion. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, eat some bread. Yeah. So I mean, uh, he's got. Uh, there's that. He's got, yeah. And I, I don't. I don't think that should be a must. I do think no. there should be options. But I just think it's funny that you brought that up. And I'm yeah, like, I yeah. Know a guy. And so you know, you got people that want wine or no wine, and biblically, you should be using wine. And if you have a problem with wine, then have grape juice or have both. You know, wine and grape juice. I've been to wine many churches who have juice. both. Yeah. Um, and then there's another issue is. How often do you have it? Because I think biblically we should be having it every Sunday or every time we meet as a congregation. Right. And that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, the and the, so the whole idea of yeah. every time we meet as a congregation, we are remembering Christ. So, so just why to, not do that? Just to bring this home, make it a little bit more personal, you know, tell some life experiences and stuff. The church that I go to right now, Lakey Gap Presbyterian, um, for as long as they've been a church. They've not done wine, just grape juice. And uh, recently, we've had uh, somebody in the church, actually my grandfather-in-law, who has celiac. And so he's, you know, he doesn't eat bread. And so our church, not, not because they didn't have a session meeting or anything, they just like, I think the pastor, our pastor, randomly decided... We're just going to use gluten-free bread, and now we're all stuck with this nasty mealy bread. Which I mean, it's better than a wafer. Yeah, but I mean, like it's kind of uh, you know it's okay. But I mean, it's a nice thing to do, but at the same time, it's not necessary right. because you could have bread and then gluten-free bread. So anyway, just to reel it all in, I am actually right now. I'm an elder in our church. I personally don't think I should be, just because. I'm not very old, but they were lacking for male leadership, which that should be your leadership is, you know, males. Um, biblically speaking, we've talked about that. Um, Bill Hill actually had some good words to say about that. Yeah. Um, but um, 
It's time to get him back on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm an elder in our church, and uh, I've actually put forth a petition to the session to make some changes. And the changes that I wanted to make are, if we're against wine, which we, as a church, are not against wine. There's one guy that's against wine. And he likes to play hardball on that issue. And he has alcohol problems in his family. So I very much, very much understand. But you don't need to project that on an entire congregation just because of your, you know, um, you know, your issues or your family's issues. Right. But on top of that, the church has been religiously grape juice and not wine for a long time. A wine was proposed earlier, like several, like a decade ago, actually, or probably longer. And has the church always been down. that church, I believe, has always been grape juice. Like from its conception back in the twenties, I believe so. I believe so. I I can't prove that. I don't think, but I believe so because it's been grape juice as long as the elders have been in that church, and like two of our elders are in their seventies, grew up, were born into that church, and it was grape juice the whole time. That is that's that's interesting. And the church has only been around. It started as a as a uh, Sunday school group in nineteen twenty two. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So it's now one hundred one years old as a Presbyterian church that you find that it is, it is. Um, I didn't know that. I just, that's, that's kind of, to me, that's kind of an anomaly, but anyway, so it got to the point where I was kind of like, all right, so I'm an elder in this church. So I actually have, I have a say in the running of this church biblically. Um, and I was like, okay, well, um, I personally believe that we need to be having wine in here. Now, when I say personally, I mean that personally, but I also mean biblically. I have biblical foundation for wine in communion. We talked about this, you know. Um, and so uh, Pastor Weaver said it best. Uh, he is a Baptist, a Reformed Baptist. And I said, Pastor Weaver, do you have, you know, you, I, I understand you're a Reformed Baptist. And he's like, People have said that. It's like, okay. <laughs> um, do you have wine in communion? He says, of course I do. I'm a Christian. We could just as easily have Coke and donuts or coffee and donuts. But Jesus said wine and bread. And he didn't specifically say wine. He said the cup. But he was referring to wine, and we can prove that in Scripture. Yeah. And so why would we go against what our Lord and Savior, you know, told us to do? And I'm like, oh, that's that's a fantastic answer. And that's been my answer ever since. And so anyway, I came before the session and said, hey, um, I believe we should start having wine. And so I propose we have wine during church. and if uh, there's, you know, I don't think that we should just straight up have wine. I think that we can have wine for those that want it, grape juice for those that don't want wine. And many churches do that, and I think we should do that. And they played hardball with me. Uh, not all of them, but a couple of them. Um, but on top of that, I said, you know, uh, my mom is a baker. She loves to bake. And one of the gifts that she would like, one of the talents that she would like to bring forth to our congregation is her gift of baking. 
And she can do that whenever we have communion. She can bake fresh communion bread. Now, mom's bread is a little different. Mom's bread is what I would actually call like true Jesus bread, because if you think about the way bread used to be, should be. Because um, your mom makes whole grain bread. like she, actual. Yes, but let me add on to that. I could do a whole episode on this. Which I think we should. because That'd be that's... really cool. So mom's bread is whole grain, yes, but it's also freshly milled flour. Now, when you go to the store and buy whole grain bread, it's not going to be freshly milled unless you go to a very specific or special bakery that mills their own wheat and then bakes the bread that day. The issue with the the bread that you normally buy at the store, even if it says it's whole grain, it might be whole grain, but when you grind bread, when you grind the wheat berry, it rusts within three days. Within three days of grinding that berry, it loses 90% of its nutritional value. Mm -hmm. After that, it becomes basically just carbohydrates. That's it. Just vacuous carbohydrates that does nothing good for your body. But which makes if you, you question if is... you bake that bread just as soon as you grind that wheat, that bread will hold the nutritional value of that wheat and it is incredibly nutritious. It's very good. It's got a lot of vitamin E. It uses the whole Wheat and the germ. Um, is it still like? Is it still like rich with carbohydrates, like we would say? Or it is, but if you think about it, the gluten, the gluten that most people have issues with, right? When you, uh, I've never you, had your mom's bread, so now when I'm you curious. let that bread sit out, when you let that wheat sit out mm -hmm. before baking for longer than three days, a lot of those nutrients in that bread are there you know a lot of the nutrients in the germ like you know the 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 you know the non-white part of the grain um there's a word for that i just forgot it uh but anyway that is very necessary for helping you digest the rest of that flour right. like the the gluten part see um uh, anyway. Because now I kind of want to. I I know I'm I'm a hundred percent gluten intolerant, but mm -hmm. I've wondered about that because I've had people ask me if I'm gluten intolerant or if I just have problems with the process. Yep. And I'm like, you know, I've never been diagnosed. I just know after I eat bread or bread products or drink beer, mm -hmm. I have problems. Yeah. So I've I've narrowed it down to what those three things have in yeah, common. Yeah. Uh, and I, I probably should at some point get diagnosed with something and, or and find I'm out. I'm sure that if you have insensitivities like that, that build up over years and years and years, then, you know, having even perfect bread right now, you might still have some trouble with that. I don't know. I'd be, I'd be, interested I'd be interested to, to find out. Um, but the we fact of the matter is, because I've yeah, still never yeah. had your mom's bread. So the fact of the matter is, um, you know, Bread is incredibly nutritious. And if you think of it, what does Jesus call himself? The bread of life. The bread of life. Why would our God and Savior call himself the bread of life if bread is this if bread is this uh, nutrient um, barren, uh, incredibly bad for you, evil product that everybody has insensitivities to and it'll kill people if they eat it? I don't think that he would do that. 
the bread then is way different from the bread now. And um, um, there's a, just a, look it up on YouTube. There's a, a lady named, uh, I think it's Susan Becker. And she has a internet site called The Bread Beckers. Um, kind of a play on bread bakers. Um, but anyway, no, I, I actually didn't she, goes, she goes into detail about how nutritious bread is for you, why it's so amazing for you, why you should be eating it, and how you should be eating it. She recommends getting a bread mill, a flour mill, milling, milling your grain right there, getting organic, organic grain, milling it there, baking it that day, and eating incredibly nutritious bread. So anyway, mom looked into that, and she loves it. She's been making bread from her for a while. Her sourdough is to die for. So true story. Mom made some sourdough, and uh, at a Monday night meeting, um, Bible study, uh, as I was leaving, mom tosses me this loaf and says, here, this is for you. I was like, oh my gosh. I had not eaten a bite all day. And so... I'm driving home and there's just this loaf sitting there. Oh, and it smells so good. Still slightly warm, ever so slightly warm. And I'm like, oh, so I just pick that up and I just take a giant bite out of it. And I, I could have just died and gone to heaven right then. It was so good. And I just, I eat half the loaf, like a full loaf here. I've eaten half of it. I call up mom and I'm just like, and she's like, what? I said, this bread is so good. She's like, oh, well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Anyway, so um, I got a, I'm going to be getting a recipe from uh, my friend Josh White, who got the Redeemer communion bread recipe, which is that flat, that olive oily flat bread that I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give that to mom. And one of her gifts to the church is hopefully going to be making bread for the communion. And so if she does that often enough, I'm thinking like, Maybe we can have communion weekly. Come on, session. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's what I'm proposing for our communion. I mean, uh, uh, to our church is wine and grape juice during our communion. Specifically wine because I want wine because that's what our Lord and Savior told us to do. And this gives us something to pray for as well. Yeah, because for sure. this Thank is you. This has been something I think and I may be stepping outside of of what maybe I'm speaking for more than one person, sure, sure. but I think you're not the only one. Yes. I'm that not, has, I'm not. Yeah. So we need to keep this, you know, as far as, you know, things that we need to pray for. And I think for us, you know, as a podcast, we need to start building a list of things that we, we can pray actually for, yeah. pray for. And that includes like anyone out there that, you know, has a prayer request. I mean, we mm -hmm. have, we're on Facebook and we, we check that, that message board yeah, pretty regularly. So we would, we would love to, uh, whether that's a, a private prayer request or that's something that you would like to, to make more public. We're, we're on board either way, but communion, this object of what has been kind of a, a stronghold, mm -hmm. uh, per se, I think should be of prayer for Lakey Gap. Absolutely. To be able to get at least something moving. You at know? least something. So that's um, what I'm working towards is wine and grape juice, I guess. And then bread. And it's biblical. It's not anything and, outside of biblical. And some gluten-free bread for the one guy in the con congregation that needs it. And I think that's a biblical thing to do. And so for those quote-unquote weak Christians, that, and I say that 
lovingly because the Bible talks about weak Christians that cannot drink wine for whatever reason. It says to be loving and strong for them um, and to work with them. And so um, I think I think we should definitely work within our means, uh, be a blessing to those around us. And um, for those who can drink wine, drink wine in communion. For those who can eat bread, eat bread in communion, just like Christ told us to. With that, I don't have anything else. I don't either. Would you like to close this out? Yeah, sure. Let's pray. Great Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the blessings that we have. Um, we thank you for this podcast and we pray that you would bless its listeners, bless us, pray that we would reach more people, uh, that are interested in Texans and Bible. Um, and I pray Lord that you would bless Lakey Gap. I pray that, um, my propositions would, um, be fruitful and that we would get, uh, wine and bread in our communion, just like our Lord and savior, um, told us to have. Uh, he instituted it, Lord, and we'd like to do it as closely as we can to what he said. And so I pray for um, wine and bread. We pray, Lord, that you would be in our hearts. Uh, be in our hearts, Lord, and I pray that you would um, fill us up with the true bread, which is Jesus, and the true blood, which is Jesus. Lord Jesus, be in us. Please, Lord, send your spirit, the comforter, to dwell in us and to fill us up that we may go around and go about and spread your love and your joy and your praise throughout the nations. And it is in Christ's holy and precious name that we come before you and pray. Amen. Amen. And with that, we say adios. adios.